Are nanobubbles the secret to optimal health, wellness, and mental performance? Over a thousand scientific studies say yes. Molecular hydrogen, or nanobubbles, produce the number one cause of cognitive decline, premature aging, and tired-looking skin by destroying the most damaging free radicals. Vital reaction hydrogen tablets transform ordinary water, or any non-carbonated drink, into cell-optimizing hydrogen water. If you'd like to try hydrogen for the next 30 days risk-free, go to TryVitalReaction.com. Use the discount code GENIUS to save 20% on your first order. Note, all orders are protected with a one-year money-back guarantee and include free shipping. So use the code GENIUS to save 20% on your first purchase at TryVitalReaction.com. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Piero Kevi Parasetti. Uh, he's a speaker and an author. He has a book called 21 Days into the Afterlife. So we're going to talk about his work. Piero, thanks for coming. Thank you very much, Richard, and I'm very glad to be here. In fact, I have several books, and you, you picked up what is perhaps my quote-unquote bestseller, but that's from 2008, and there's, there's been several others uh, later on. But that's perfectly fine. Very happy to discuss anything. Sure. Well, tell me about your, your background, and then I want to ask you about you know that book and additional books that you've written. Very good, very good. So I am uh, I'm a medical doctor. I studied medicine and then uh, got a, a master's degree in public health, and I worked for the International Red Cross, uh, mostly, and then for the United Nations briefly, in the management of international humanitarian relief operations in various countries in the world. And then I went on to teach at university for uh, 17 years. I taught public health in emergencies and emergency management at, at several uh, universities. And I say that to stress the fact that uh, essentially I am a Western educated medical doctor. That means that I'm the product of a system of thought that maintains that anything that can possibly exist is matter. If you cannot touch it, if you cannot measure it with instruments, it simply does not exist. And I, I must right. say, I was very happy to, to you know, that was a paradigm that served me well during my studies and my practice. So I had no reasons to, to challenge that. And that inevitably comes with a, a, a measure of contempt for, you know, religion, spirituality, and let alone anything, quote unquote, paranormal. Yeah, I have a quick question here in your background. Please do. You just mentioned a contempt for the paranormal. I've, I've seen that a lot too. For people that are Western trained and believe in, you know, in science and all that stuff, I understand. No problem. I do too. But why a contempt for the paranormal? That seems to be uh, pervasive. 
And absolutely. Contempt because that's a psychological effect, I think, really not something I'm proud of having had at all, I think is is almost despicable, but it comes because you feel intellectually superior. Your your psyche uh, works in a way and says, I have truth. I know how things are because I have all the evidence and the science and blah, blah. And, and, and people who believe in these things are essentially intellectually inferior. And, and I stress again, this is horrible and it is wrong in any way. And, and particularly this, but I was, I was prey to this system of, uh, of thinking. All that was coming to, was to come to an interesting uh, stop in a way or, or change, not because I've had any any experience myself. Unfortunately, it looks like this uh, incarnation of mine is not for experiencing that much. It is for for learning, for thinking, for reflecting, for studying, and and possibly for sharing what I have learned. No, this was simply my uh, beloved wife at the time we were living in Geneva in Switzerland. And one day over uh, over tea in the kitchen, I remember very well, and I've told this story so many times, she told me a wee anecdote, a, a small thing that happened to her when in her late adolescent years when she was about to leave the, the family home. And it's a spooky story, a, a rapping story. It's a cute, puzzling thing, but nothing earth-shattering. To tell you the truth, Richard, this is something... That if at the time, if you or or anybody else had had told me such a story, I would have smiled politely and moved on. But you know, my wife's the person I know best and I and I trust the most. And I could tell that after all these years, she was still perturbed by that, you know, thing that went on for a couple of months before it was resolved. And so with the stiff upper lip I had back then. I said, mm, let me see if anything serious has been written about this, you know. And well, soon enough, I stumbled upon the 570 odd pages of a book by a very, very reputed, super highly credentialed psychology professor here in the UK, the late David Fontana, unfortunately, prematurely disappeared and and the guy i mean the guy is a member was a member of the royal society which is as big as it gets in the uk and and that was enough to you know overcome what i call my boggle threshold and i bought the book and boy that changed my life the title of the book was is there an afterlife question mark a review of the evidence right you know a seminal fundamental book and those 575 pages were followed by to this day i reckon another 30,000 and counting and i became a member of the society society for psychical research in the uk and the international association for near-death studies in the u.s i went to conferences to study days i even came to the u.s and trained personally with Raymond Moody, who you may remember, was the first one to speak about near-death experiences in the 1970s. and one of my intellectual okay. heroes. So that small anecdote from my wife sent me on path of research and quest and study. And I'm not 
claiming or maintaining that was an easy path because, you know, the materialist, the scientist, the scientist, not as in somebody who does science, but somebody who believes that science is the only way to know about things. The, you know, the, the, the materialist, physicalist in me rebelled. But then, you know, after the years and after the stupendous collective way of the evidence, weight of the evidence, I had today, in, to the best of my intellectual honesty. The book itself, what was it in the book that shocked you and made you start to take this other path? As I say, the collective way of the evidence. I had no idea that so much hard, empirical, factual evidence pointed to what became then later on my rash, what I call a rational belief, that is a belief not based on faith. I did not have an experience. I did not see God or, or met a prophet or, or a guru. I simply followed my intelligence and my rationality. I looked at the evidence. I engaged at, with the evidence. And that was that came originally from that one book. What, and, what was the evidence? Was it dozens and dozens of stories that all had similar elements of near-death experiences? Or like, oh, can you no, a little no. bit more specific? Let me say, briefly formulate where I stand today, and then we, we, we'll go back and, and I'll answer your, your question. Very briefly, at the end of this long intellectual scholarly journey, today I am convinced of two things, rationally convinced of two things. Number one, mind is strictly related to, but independent from the electrochemical activity of the brain. Mind is more than the brain. Mind can exist outside and independently from the brain. And that's a big statement, but is well supported by evidence. And number two, hold yourselves tight in a way which we do not begin to understand. I do not claim anybody understands that. And anybody who claims they do, I think they lie. But in a way, we do not understand human personality survives physical death. That is the only conclusion an unbiased observer can draw if he or she truly engages with the evidence. Now, he asked me, what evidence? And uh, I mentioned near-death experiences, and near-death experiences are one area of about one field of about, I reckon, a dozen different, diverse, separate fields of investigation, all pointing to the survival of personality of bodily death. And, and these big areas are end-of-life phenomena, it's called deathbed visions, and now there's increasing research about shared death visions. There's, of course, near-death experiences, which I consider one of the pillars, but they're all pillars. They're all important. There's reincarnation studies, very important. Tons of very hard evidence collected by academic researchers about supporting the idea of uh, reincarnation. And then the ocean within the ocean. There's an ocean of evidence, and within that there's another ocean, which is after-death communication. 
And after death, communication has in itself a number of fields. And so if you put this all this together, I say a dozen, but whatever. I mean, it's just to give to give you a, a ballpark figure. Then depending how you slice the cake, there may be more, there may be less. But for instance, within after death communication, you have mental mediumship, you have physical mediumship, you have instrumental transcommunication. Sorry, I'm using jargon, and, and I'll be happy to explain what these things are, but I understand that uh, time is, is what it is. It's limited. Yeah. You have induced after-death communication, and uh, there's, there's, there's plenty of areas with uh, there's apparitional studies, uh, poltergeist and hauntings. And so what gradually convinced me often in these interviews i am uh, interviews i am asked what is the thing that really convinced you there is not one thing richard what convinces can you you go into a a little bit of detail on some of these things Uh some of them are jargon so are there any stories in particular you think that a lot of people would enjoy absolutely so we will get that in a second let me say that what convinced me and what convinces anybody who really engages with evidence is the coherence and consistency. Now, you mentioned before that near-death experiences have many elements in common. That is true. But all these fields of investigations have huge elements in common. And they all, from independent lines of investigation and research, they all point towards survival of personality of physical death. Now, let's take near-death experiences, for instance. And uh, I repeat, I consider that definitely one, one of the pillars, and possibly, it's difficult to say the most important, but yes, it depends. Your, your mileage may vary. <laughs> it's, it's a subject, is a, a personal call, what's more important and what is, is, relatively speaking, less important. With near-death experiences, we have Persons who, by all accounts, have no functioning brain, no electrical activity, no neurophysiological activity at any level. And this is very important to understand. It's not only that consciousness is out, because we know that consciousness largely depends on the, on the higher, the most uh, evolved structures of the brain. That is out. But also the deepest parts of the brain, the parts that, for instance, the, the deep centers that regulate our breathing, stop functioning. And of course, people don't breathe. And so they are medically dead because there's no breathing, there's no heartbeat, and they're legally dead because their EEG is flat. So we have stupendous numbers of people with no functioning brain who report at the moment when they had no brain, and we know very well why we say that that moment is, this experience was had at the moment when they had no brain, they report what appears, what they refer as a hyper-conscious experience. And a conscious experience, which which 
they describe as more real than reality. That in itself is stupendous, is extraordinary and flies completely in the face of what materialism and physicalism would have us believe. That is that our consciousness and what we call mind is nothing else than the activity of the brain. Here we have no brain and we have this tremendous life-changing experiences. Not only that, but these experiences, as you briefly mentioned, have a number of features in common, regardless of the cultural background, the social background, the spiritual background, the economic situation, the sexual orientation. All these things are being checked. And regardless of who you are, you tend tend to have the same experience and that it is even more extraordinary. Already the fact that you have any experience at all when your brain is out is remarkable. The fact that you have an experience which is broadly speaking similar across all these uh, variables is even more extraordinary. And Even more and more extraordinary is the fact that not only you have an experience, not only this experience is shared across cultures and epochs and blah, blah, but you form long-lasting memories. So imagine when we were at school or at college, for those of us who went to university, the number of hours and the effort we spent specifically trying to remember information and how much of that information is gone, completely gone. We had a functioning brain at the time. We put in an effort to remember and most of it, it's gone. Well, near-death experiences are remembered in minute details 20, 25, 30 years after the experience is had. And these things are absolutely extraordinary. And they, they in themselves would be enough to demolish the physicalist, the materialist paradigm that says mind equals brain. And I could go on and, well, let's also remember that one of the features of the near-death experience is an out-of-body experience, i.e. people who are, for instance, who the heart stops beating, after two seconds, consciousness go out. After 10 seconds, they stop breathing. It means that they have no brain. And I could never say this enough. And even the, the most fundamental reflexes, like the gagging reflex when you touch the back, the back of your throat that you gag, or the corneal reflex, if you touch the cornea, the eye, wink and, and move away, even those most fundamental reflexes are absent. It means there is no brain. There are no, there are no nerves. In those conditions, people, as part of the, of the complex near-death experience, people feel their center of consciousness, of awareness, move out of the body. They see their own body being resuscitated, they are capable of describing in fine details the maneuvers, what people were saying, 
And this has been verified a number of times through, again, scientific studies. They are aware of things they could not possibly have seen or been aware of if they were on the resuscitation bed. And we have evidence, well-researched, Dr. Kenneth Ring, one of the foremost NDE researchers, investigated what appears to be normal vision in people who were blind from birth. Normal vision occurring during a near-death experience, i.e. when they had no brain, people blind from birth experience what appears to be normal vision. Again, being aware of verified details and particulars they could not possibly have been aware of, not only because they had no brain, but also because they were uh, blind. So blind Uh people have said they've seen X, Y, and Z, even if they've been blind their whole life. Are nanobubbles the secret to optimal health, wellness, and mental performance? Over a thousand scientific studies say yes. Molecular hydrogen, or nanobubbles, produce the number one cause of cognitive decline, premature aging, and tired-looking skin by destroying the most damaging free radicals. Vital Reaction Hydrogen Tablets transform ordinary water, or any non-carbonated drink, into cell-optimizing hydrogen water. If you'd like to try hydrogen for the next 30 days risk-free, go to tryvitalreaction.com. Use the discount code GENIUS to save 20% on your first order. Note, all orders are protected with a one-year money-back guarantee and include free shipping. So use the code GENIUS to save 20% on your first purchase at TryVitalReaction.com. Absolutely so. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. No, no, there, there are papers published in peer-reviewed journals who, who detail the, the, pro, the, the research protocols and how they came to the conclusion that, yes, I mean, I say, also very interesting, they say, oh, uh, they were just dreaming. No, blind people do dream, of course, but they don't dream images because they, know, they don't know what images are. They dream about sound, touch, other sensations, but they do not have a reference for what vision is. And something in, in, in that book we mentioned at the beginning, in 21 Days, I report one, one of the quotes uh, from one of these, the, the participants in this research, that every time, honestly, Richard brings tears to my eyes because it is so simple. And yet so poetic, this guy, blind from birth, congenitally blind, describes leaving his body, going through the roof, and looking at his house and the surroundings just after a snowfall. And he describes how the fine snow, the very dry snow, gets blown around by the wind. And literally, how could you possibly conceive of that? if you've never seen in your life, if you've never had vision in your life. Truly extraordinary. So what uh, what are you and other researchers decided is, is going on when people are having these experiences? Where does this lead you to? Where does the, that uh, thank you for that question. It's revealing because NDEs have been, or let's say, skeptics and materialists and physicalists have tried to quote-unquote debunk these experiences for about 25, 30 years since, the, you know, Raymond Moody's book came out 
to begin with. And what annoys me is that the same age-old explanations keep being regurgitated and propagated by, by media and the press and everything, although they were demonstrated to be false or, I mean, not false, they're not working already at the beginning, already 20 or, you know, 20 years ago. We knew it's a, the, the idea that it's a lack of oxygen doesn't account for the facts. The lack, the, the uh, increased carbon dioxide does not account for the facts and blah, blah, blah. So we have a number of explanations put forward by people who don't really know about near-death experiences, and these explanations do not hold water. It is revealing and very interesting that everybody, without exception of the people, who've, of the scientists, more practically all of them uh, medical doctors, who've devoted their lives to the study of NDEs, 100% of them are convinced that near-death experiences are strongly, quote, strongly suggestive of life after life. That end quote. That is near-death experience. The fact that consciousness, conscious experiences, memories can be had and built at the moment when there is no function in brain supports the first of my beliefs. That is Mind is more than the brain. Mind is related to the brain, but can exist and function outside of and independent of the brain. And number two, if you then, once you've established that, if you then, then engage with the content of the experience itself, the experience appears to be a peak, a temporary peak. That's what I would say into what we, for, for, for lack of a better word, we call the afterlife. For what experiences await us once we've shed our physical body, whilst our conscious, uh, when our consciousness is not anymore linked or some would say imprisoned by uh, the physical brain, and we move on to a non-material dimension of existence and please appreciate my looking for words here because it's very difficult but that's the only conclusion we can draw these people were allowed by their experience to temporarily temporarily look into let's call it the afterlife and then come back and they broadly speaking all tell the same story and this and then i'll give you of course let you ask your question this resonates so well with what we call end-of-life experiences or, in particular, deathbed visions. And I'm very happy to briefly talk about that if you want. Over to you. Okay. In, in the people you've interacted with that you've seen engage with this material, is their reaction disbelief? Is their reaction, they, you know, are they relieved? Like, you know, once people go through enough, quote-unquote, evidence, what have you seen them do? How do they react? You know, I'm originally from uh, from Italy. And there's an expression in Italian uh, when you ask a question like that, it's like a wedding invitation. You're invited <laughs> because you're squarely into what 
into my niche, if you want, into the what I feel with if I made a whatever little contribution to these studies and 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 is exactly answering your question. Let me try to be brief. One, if we in particular we look at near death experiences again. One of the uh, very interesting research findings is that anybody who's had an NDE undergoes uh, an array of psychological and behavioral changes, all of them highly positive. They become much less materialistic, much more quote-unquote spiritual and interested in not in material possessions but more in knowledge for its own sake if they were religious they tend to lose their really religiosity and move into a broader more accepting spirituality and what is most important and this begins answering your question is that their fear of death is erased completely and forever. Why? Because they have been there. They had a direct first-hand experience of the fact that we do not die. The body goes, but what we call ourselves, our sense of being alive, our, our having experiences, our affections keeps going on. And we move into a different field, a different world, a different universe, a different reality, but we keep having experiences and we are still, to a large extent, ourselves. Very important. But those are the people who've had the experience. And, and so it's easy to, to understand that. What, again, Professor Ring uh, demonstrated, the same guy who did the research on uh, vision in the blind during NDEs, he also noticed a very interesting thing. The same kind of beneficial changes, psychological and behavior, appear in people who did not have NDEs, but simply read about them. And the more people engaged with the evidence about NDEs, the more apparent and profound these changes were. And this is beautiful, very, very interesting. And here comes Piero with perhaps his little contribution. I'm interested in, in particular in my area of specialty and of activity is called applied psychical research. I've studied enough already quite a few years ago. I felt that I had learned all that I had to learn because I really took it seriously and I, I dived into it big time. And then the, the, the medical doctor and the humanitarian in me kicked in and said, but hey, what you're learning, what you have learned can be of immense benefit for two categories of people. Those who are in pain because they've lost a loved one and those who are in fear because of impending death, either their own or maybe a loved one's. And so my work for, the, for quite a few years now have been either individually or I, I work with, um, actually, is that's the person and the organization that put us in touch, I, I understand, with the Forever Family Foundation, which is an international, not-for-profit, non-religious organization, strong of over 12,000 members at the moment, whose purpose is to proper 
to uh, disseminate, to inform about afterlife science for the specific benefit of bereaved people. When you become rationally convinced, not as a matter of faith, not because somebody told you, but because you have learned about the evidence, you have engaged with the evidence, you have challenged the evidence critically, like I did, like anybody who, you know, who's, who's interested in this, you have to challenge the evidence because the evidence points to unbelievable things that, you know, that the blind can see during NDEs, that, that we, we survive physical death. And with not to speak about what happens in physical mediumship, etc., which is absolutely, utterly, completely unbelievable. And yet these things happen. There's no two ways about. They've been investigated in such depth and so many times and by so many reputable, credible, experienced investigators that you have to surrender and admit that, yes, these things happen, and all these things point towards survival. So if you become rationally convinced of survival, a part of the pain of a loss goes away. There is a part of the pain of bereavement which is absolutely unavoidable. That comes with being human. There's no two ways about it. You know, with with, with when, when, when a spouse dies, when a father dies, and God forbid, when a child dies, that is terrible. And as I say, there's no pill, there's no belief, there's no psychological technique, there's no nothing that will take part of that pain away. But there's another part of the pain, which is, unav- which is avoidable and can be avoided. And that is the pain that derives from believing that our loved one has simply ceased to exist. I had this person who was so dear to me, he or she was there yesterday, and now he or she has vanished, atomized, disappeared into a black nothingness. Well, that is not true. That it is a wrong thought in cognitive therapy. We say that's a cognitive distortion. Why? Because evidence disproves it. Evidence tells us that we survive physical death. So that loved one whom we miss so dearly has not disappeared. He or she goes on living in another dimension, a dimension with which communication is possible, but very difficult, very haphazard, ruled by rules that and laws that we really do not understand and many times are so frustrating, but at least we can have the certainty based on evidence that that person has not disappeared. You get my point? Right, I understand. Unfortunately, we don't have too much time. Where is this research going? Is it now, okay, there's plenty of evidence, we need to get it into the hands of more people, or are there more things to discover that are important? Well, uh, it's, you know, in terms of uh, uh, what's available all there, remember this, this evidence has been collected for close to 200 years now from, from some, by, by some of the finest scientific minds of the planet, including as many as five Nobel Prize winners. So anybody wanting to, to, to look into it and engage, 
there's tons, there's tons. A lifetime's not enough to see through all this. And there are good summaries. My, my little books are an attempt at that. And there are many other very good books reviewing the evidence and, and anybody I, I encourage anybody who's got uh, issues with, with either, you know, death of a loved one or fear. I, I, my latest book, uh, Step into the Light, was written not for the bereaved, but for the dying or those who, uh, who are around somebody who's dying. And it's, it's a mapping, a description of the process of death, dying, and what comes afterwards based on these masses of evidence we have from credible sources. Anyhow, so the evidence is there. It's interesting that it's, uh, the, the, the research has not died. We, we thought that, you know, with this meteoric rise of materialism and physicalism and scientism, that this would go away and die. No, this has not been the case. Interestingly, uh, the, the medical, the medics, in the near-death experiences, continue their research. The vision of perceptual studies, major university in the U.S., they keep going uh, with um, reincarnation studies. But interesting, there's a uh, new life is being breathed into, into the field by sociologists now. Sociology has taken a very big interest into after-death studies and sociologists. What they do is what sociologists do. They go and live with the communities, their study. So we have, particularly here in the UK, a number of uh, Jack Hunter and his colleagues who go and sit with mediumship circles and experience the things for themselves and and analyze what impact this is having on, on the participants. Very interesting. So the field keeps evolving. And as you said, I think that we should, and, and I'll never be thankful enough to people like yourself and in and, and, and your, and your podcast and your organization for helping spreading the word. It's not a matter of spreading a faith, uh, spreading a belief. is about uh, spreading an idea. The idea is look at the evidence, engage your brain, engage your mind, study the evidence. That will benefit you enormously. This scholar and, and scientist in the right way, in the good way, in me, is interested in trying to understand. I told you that we do not understand how we survive. We do not understand, for instance, how psychic powers, your telepathy, telekinesis, and you know, precognition, for for which there, there's again tons and tons and tons of evidence. The evidence is there, but we do not understand how it works. So I am curious. I am interested. I am. I hope. There will be more and more research because we want to understand out of because man likes to figure out things. And I do like to figure out things. But in terms of searching for proof, I don't think we need anything else. Well, very good. Where can people find out more about you and your work? Where should they go? The easiest thing is my website, which is dr, like the prefix for doctor, dr Parisetti. Paris, like the city in France with E-T-T-I at the end. All one word, D-R Parisetti, which is my name, parisetti.com. Dr. Parisetti, but shortened in drparisetti.com. There you will find a number of articles, uh, including uh, a, a bit of a 
technical one and is as long some 17 pages is almost but it's for the scientifically minded in which we look at, at the NDE in, in some details and the explanations that have tried to explain it away and we explain why they do not work and, and the conclusion is that yes people without a brain do have experiences there's even a, a, an entirely free book that people can download on apparitions and and then you find my my various other uh, uh, other books and again it's drparizetti.com okay very good well piero thank you so much for coming on the podcast i appreciate it it has been such a pleasure, Richard. Thank you very much for talking to me and, and for the very important work you do. Are nanobubbles the secret to optimal health, wellness, and mental performance? Over a thousand scientific studies say yes. Molecular hydrogen, or nanobubbles, produce the number one cause of cognitive decline, premature aging, and tired-looking skin by destroying the most damaging free radicals. Vital reaction hydrogen tablets transform ordinary water or any non-carbonated drink, into cell-optimizing hydrogen water. If you'd like to try hydrogen for the next 30 days risk-free, go to TryVitalReaction.com. Use the discount code GENIUS to save 20% on your first order. Note all orders are protected with a one-year money-back guarantee and include free shipping. So use the code GENIUS to save 20% on your first purchase at TryVitalReaction.com. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.